0: You can open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we'll eventually get there, but uh, to start with it's going to be a bit of a uh, sword drill this morning, we're going to be all over the place in the New Testament, Um, but I think Hebrews 10 will probably be your best bet, or I take that back, 1 Peter 2, we'll get to Hebrews 10 after that, 1 Peter chapter 2 is where you're going to want to open up to right now. Alright, so we are in our series Rooted. This is our second week in this series uh, entitled Rooted. And we are looking at the roots, the unseen part of our theology, the unseen part of what we believe, the things that we don't always uh, see, the, 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 the parts that create the parts that we do see. In other words, we're looking at the things that, that you see here in our gatherings uh, and we are, going, we are going kind of behind the scenes, kind of underground, and seeing what's behind those things. So why do we do what we do? And this morning, uh, we're, so we're, we're effectively asking the question, why do we do that? Something that you would see here on a Sunday morning or in one of our gatherings, we're asking the question, why do we do that at all? And we're trying to see what's behind all of that. And this morning, uh, we're going to start with the most basic question of all. Whenever we're asking about uh, why do we do certain things in church, the, the question is why do we have church at all? Why do we have church at all? Now some of you guys are like, all right, I'm going to check out now because I know the answer to this one. I can fill out the paragraph on that. We're good to go. But I'm going to ask that you stick with me uh, and that you, you, you work with me through this because I, it's important that we fully get what it is that we are uh, talking about. We start with that question uh, because we, we need to be able to, to, to explain what's going on here. So the question, why do we have church? Well, to begin with, we're off to a bad start, if that's the question that we're asking. We're off to a bad start because that's framed very poorly. Uh, we say often that terminology becomes theology, and so we need to work very hard to fix that. So let me start by kind of striking through that question and re-asking this question. Instead of why do we have church, uh, um, a better, more biblical way to ask that question would be why do we gather together every Sunday morning? Why do we gather together and do this, what we're doing right now, every Sunday morning? So that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. But you need to uh, also know that part of what drives me in this series Part of what drives me here is the core conviction that what we do here on Sundays is really, really weird. That what we do here when we get together is not normal. It's odd. It's strange. And if we're going to understand what it is that drives our faith and the practices of our faith, we need to get that framework right in our minds. What we're doing is not normal, at least not for most people. Now, if you grew up in church, or you grew up even in the South, you may think that this is normal, that this is just what happens for a lot of people on Sunday mornings, or that this is kind of what you've done your whole life, and, uh, and, and so it, it feels very normal for you. In fact, the most abnormal thing you can think of is not being at church on a Sunday morning. Well, I praise God for your commitment, but what you need to understand is that sometimes you're so close to something, you can assume that everybody else thinks it's normal. But it's not. What we do when we get together is a bit strange. When we get here and we do this, the rest of the world that is looking from the outside in says, what in the world are they doing there and why would they do that? I got two days for my weekend. I've got two days that I get for a weekend. Why would I spend one of the days that I get to sleep in going and listening to somebody Uh, hoot and holler and shout and 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 for for us to to listen to a bunch of singing that i don't really know the words why would i go do something uh, like that and if you don't believe me that what we're doing here at, at when we get together is a little bit weird i want you to listen i've got five different uh little like verses or passages that i've pulled out from all across the new testament different authors and i want you to hear what it is that they say to do and what we're supposed to be whenever we come to church. So I'll start with Romans chapter 16. You don't have to turn to all these because i got a bunch of them. But Romans chapter 16, verse 16, Paul writes, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, Paul writes, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another, with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Paul writes again, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes in chapter 5, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The holy kiss, the kiss of love. The, the commandment in the Bible that everybody says, do we really have to do that one? Because that seems really odd to me. The holy kiss. Now, if you were to go out and you were to knock on doors of people that are, that are in their homes this morning, that are drinking their coffee and, and watching the, their political shows or whatever it is that people do on Sunday mornings, I don't know, but whatever it is that they're doing on Sunday mornings, uh, and you were to go knock on the doors, and, and, and let's just say you were to knock on somebody's door, And you were to say, hey, I would love for you to come to church with me. I would love for you to come and be a part of what we're doing on Sunday mornings. And they were to say, I've never heard of church. What is this church? I don't know what it is that you're talking about. And you were to respond and say, well, according to our holy scriptures, we get together every week and greet one another with a holy kiss of love. Now, you're going to get one of two reactions there. You're either going to get a door slammed in your face or a reaction that you did not anticipate and you probably did not want. Um, But either way they're going to recognize that what you're asking is a little weird Like it's a little odd to say hey, let's get together and this is what our scriptures command us to do Now we don't greet one another with a holy kiss here culturally That doesn't really transfer quite the same way uh, as it would have then Uh, Maybe if paul were writing to us in southern uh, american culture He would say greet one another with an awkward side hug. Maybe that's how he would he would say that to, to us. Uh, and while the kiss may not, be, uh, may not be there, Peter and Paul's intentions as they write the churches do transfer. They do transfer to us and they do apply to us. And what this creates whenever it's talking about this holy kiss, it's talking about this community where people are so welcomed and so cared for by one another that a greeting that is a more intimate greeting would be entirely appropriate. This is what author Rebecca McLaughlin calls calls an embarrassing intimacy. And that is what we are called to in church. An intimacy that is to a, a different level than what the culture is familiar or comfortable with. And so I want to make sure that we frame this correctly for this entire series right from the start. What we do here is odd. We don't have church here at Providence. We never have and we never will. What we do here on Sunday mornings is not just something that we do because we're supposed to. In fact, it's not even primarily something that we do at all. It's something that is very intentionally holy, intimate, personal, communal, and shaping for those that are a part of providence. So what exactly is church that makes it so odd? What is it about church that allows Peter and Paul to call these people and these churches to greetings that make us uneasy? What is it that we are doing here this morning at all? There's a lot I could say here, but I've got two things that I want to teach that I want to walk through this morning that I think will set the stage for us about what we are doing gathering here at all. So as a church, we are a people and we are a gathering. A people and a gathering. That's going to be the two points for the morning. So the first, a people. This is First Peter chapter 2. If you've been here at Providence for any time, you know that this is kind of a go-to verse for me whenever I begin talking about the nature of the church. I think Peter articulates it so well in these verses. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, That's Jesus is the living stone rejected by men. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. So Peter writes to a small group of people that have banded together amidst intense persecution. Now he will say that no one has shed blood yet, so there's not been martyrdom yet, but their property has been stolen, they've been thrown in jail, their families have abandoned them, They've had all kinds of other persecution outside of that, and he writes to push them, to encourage them, and to help them understand that they are not forgotten and that they are not alone. He wants them to know that he is with them and all the other churches and believers are with them in their struggle. And Peter begins by describing these people as a house, a house anchored on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Now, there's much to this analogy we could pull out but the clear implication is that Jesus is the foundation. He is the one that sets the course and sets the the, uh, the strength for the rest of the building. Much like we talked about last week, he is the root of all that we do. We are established in him and we are established upon him. And make no mistake about it, the church is not a club with shifting allegiances, shifting goals, um... Constantly trying to figure out how do we attach ourselves to the person that has the most power the most influence that is not what we do We do not bend our agenda to match the culture We do not bend our culture to somehow uh, match what the rest of the world is telling us that we must do We are anchored In jesus christ But the cornerstone is never meant to be laid alone and left by itself The cornerstone is laid in order to be built upon. And what is it that is to be built on the cornerstone of Jesus? If you look in verse 9, it tells us. Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what is built upon the chief cornerstone? Peter tells us it's a people. A people. How does Peter describe the church? As a mission? As an organization? As a force? As a building? As a weekly thing to go and do? It's none of those things. He calls it two things. He says it's a priesthood and a nation. And a priesthood and a nation, very specifically, are not things. They are made of people. And so whenever Christ calls us and we, the church is formed, what is formed is a people. The church is a people. If you've been at Providence for any time at all, you know that this is what I talk about a lot. And I drive it out of this passage primarily, but it's all over the New Testament as well. And if you can understand this, that the church is first and foremost a people, it will correct so many misunderstandings about what you think about the nature of the church. It will will fix and it will give you a filter that says, oh, that makes so much more sense why Jesus says to do this or why Paul says to do this or why this is supposed to be carried out this way. Because we are not primarily an organization. We are not primarily even a mission to go and do things. We are first and foremost a people. You know why you don't greet anyone with a holy kiss at Walmart? Don't think too hard about this question. There's a lot of good answers to that. But the reason why is because Walmart is an organization. It's an organization. It is not a people. It is not a people. And we can carry this out to everything else that you may belong to. The church is uniquely built as a people. And it is built as a people to grow and to be a part of one another. Peter says that about the church because the church isn't a Sunday service. It's not something we do. Church is not a thing or an activity. It's a people. And what separates this people What separates us and makes us different? What separates the people that are a part of this church? Peter says it's one thing. It's grace and mercy. It's mercy. In verse 10, he says, Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. What qualifies you to be a part of this people? You have received mercy, where at one point you had not. That's what makes us different. That's what sets us apart covered in mercy rooted and anchored and built upon jesus christ that's how we know who we are those are the defining factors of the church and this is crucial if you ever want to understand anything about how god works today or what god calls us to today outsiders see the building to them that's the church Most people who go to church Sunday after Sunday see the stuff we do. We sing, we pray, we preach. And that's the church. Some folks will see the the things that we do outside of the church and how, you know, like here in a a few weeks toward the the end of July we'll do worship serve and we'll go and we'll serve the local schools and we'll do a handful of things. They'll see that and they'll say, oh, the good things that the church does for the community, that's the church. While none of those things are bad, It's not the building or the activity that define us. It's the people. Now Peter will go on to give us things to do in the next paragraph after this. So it's not as though the things we do are not important. They are. The things we do are rooted in who we are and who we are built upon. It's crucial for us to understand that. So first, we are a people. Second, we are a gathering. We are a gathering. So we are a people, but we aren't just a people. Jesus could have done it this way. This could have been the way that God set this up. He saves us, sends us back to our homes and says, go live a good moral life. That could have been the setup, but it's not. Peter tells us that we're being built up together in a spiritual house. That implies we are strategically and tightly knit together, fit together very specifically in order to become something else. Nails and boards and glue and all that kind of stuff that is needed to put together and build a house, those are just individual things. It's not until they all come together that they become something else, something greater than just the sum of the parts. And so it is with the church individually we are saved redeemed we have received mercy where we had not before but together we are more than the sum of our parts you ever do any construction projects around the house i know we got some guys that work in construction around here but you guys know what you're doing i don't um so you ever do like projects around the house and whenever you do them uh for me some i've done well some i've had to uh redo others i've done and i've redone and then had to call my dad or my father-in-law to come fix what i've done and then sometimes you have to call a professional to fix what they've done that's kind of like the 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 pattern that flows a lot uh for me uh but anytime i ever do a project around my house any project that has any scale at all here's what i'm going to tell you is going to happen i'm going to go to lowe's and i'm going to get the things that i need and then I'm going to get started, and then I'm going to realize I didn't get all the things that I needed. I'm going to have to go back to Lowe's, and then I'm going to get like almost done, and I'm going to need like just like one specific type of like bolt, or I'm going to need a specific tool that I don't have, or I'm going to need like one more board. I'm going to need something else to finish my task, so you know what's going to happen? I'm going to have to go back to Lowe's again, doesn't matter the scale of the project, I'm good for three or four trips to Lowe's before I can get the project done. I, I cannot manage to get it all in one trip. It's kind of the nature that it is. And then if I'm really desperate or I've really tried, got a more complicated project, I'll make my way to, uh, to Leapers, and then I'll go to Lowe's, and then I'll have to go to Home Depot, and then I'll have to order the part that I need because I can't find it anywhere. Like, that's just the nature of, of me trying to do a home improvement uh, project. But do you know why I have to do something like that? It's because in order for the project to be complete, I need all the tools, I need all the supplies, I need everything that I need, and I need it all to be in the same place at the same time so it can be assembled together. In a very crude way, this is how the church works too. It doesn't do anyone any good. If we were to go back to to online church, and now, listen, listen, I, I praise God for the option of online church over the course of the last year and a half or so because it has, uh, it has been a blessing for us to maintain some form of communication and being together. But if we go back to that and, and everyone indefinitely just stays at home, sits in their living room and watches church, do you know what we don't have? Church. What we have is people that are watching a message something that's a band-aid that can get us through, but we don't have church. There's no such thing in the end as, as indefinite online church. Because you can't build a house when all the pieces are spread out all over the place. You need them together. And when they're all together, the sum is greater than the individual parts. So we must gather together on some level. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. First Peter tells us much about being a church. Acts chapter 2 tells us uh, a lot about being a church as well. So in Acts chapter 2, what you have is one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. Peter is delivering a, uh, delivering a message at Pentecost. He's explaining about who Jesus was, how he was crucified, how he was risen. He goes through, he delivers this powerful sermon Uh, and then at the end of it three thousand people get saved but it's after that what luke records is so instructive for us this morning the people did not simply go back to their homes and celebrate the mercy they had been given instead they came together so 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 they heard the message they responded to the grace and they did not separate But instead, they came together. Let's read this in Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This passage is, for all intents and purposes, where the church gathered begins. Where what we do here on Sunday mornings, this is basically where it starts. It describes the power of these new believers coming together in order to break bread with one another and to care for one another. Peter did not preach the message and send them home. He preached the message and then brought them together. The word church in the original language in the Greek, the word is ekklesia. It gets translated to church, and we define church as one thing in our mind. But that word, ecclesia, actually just means the gathered ones, the assembled ones, the gathering. That's literally what it means. So to have church without being uh, assembled, to be the church without being the church together, it's a contradiction in terms. It doesn't work. This is why at Providence we don't have church services, unless it's something uh, kind of out of the ordinary, like when we have our Good Friday service. That is a service that we we put on in order to bless you, that we do. But we don't have services. This is not a Sunday morning service of Providence Church. What we call this is our Sunday morning gatherings. These are the gatherings of the people of Providence Church. This is what we do on Sunday mornings. We don't have a service that you participate in and consume. We have a gathering of the people of Providence Church. Well, we must first understand that the church is a people. It is a people that are saved in order to gather together with one another. We are not saved to be individual saved people. We are saved to belong to something new, the church. It's not just that being saved gets us a a, a ticket onto the team. Being saved transfers our ownership over to a new team, and we are immediately given new teammates. Christianity is not an individual sport. Think about, think about the, the you, you got like the, uh, the, uh, the, the College World Series going on right now, right? You guys looking forward to watching that? I'm looking forward to it. I got my orange and white on. I'm ready to watch that this afternoon. Now, listen, if they showed up in Omaha, but they only had like three or four guys, and the rest of the guys were just at their homes all spread out, they're still a part, like the Tennessee baseball team, they're still a part of the team, but if they don't come together to play, they're not going to get to play. That's part of being on the team. You've got to be together. So it works for us as a church. We have to be together in order to execute what God has called us to do. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of commands in the New Testament that say to, do, to, to care for one another, to do things for one another. You can't do things for one another apart from one another. The writer of Hebrews makes this point clear in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. I want you to listen to these three verses. I want you to see how this works. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is prom- who faithful. And let us, how to, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you hear all the one another's in there? do you see what the writer of hebrews is driving at i want you to look at this closely again the middle part of the command don't neglect the meeting don't neglect meeting together that is important but it's what's on either side of it that makes it so important why should they not stop meeting together because it's bad for the church budget if we don't meet for the next month our church budget's going to take a big hit is that why we should not meet together Because we need to fill up this building and we need to make sure that we have people here on Sunday mornings? Is it because you guys need to be here to make sure you get your weekly nourishment of the Bible? Is that why we gather together? It's none of those things. All of those things are fine, but those are not the main reason why we gather together. No, we meet together because we have a need and a duty to one another. We should meet together so that we may consider how to stir one another to good works. And then we should meet together in order to encourage one another. Why should we gather? Because I need you. You need me. You need one another. And that's why we gather together. You cannot get that any other way. You cannot get that over Zoom. You cannot get that over YouTube. Those things may be temporarily there to help you, but you cannot ultimately get that. We know how important it is that we be together with one another. I read an article this week by uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, who I quoted earlier. She compared church members uh, to a a boyfriend and a girlfriend separated by war. She writes of a soldier who was sent off to World War II and while he was gone for over a year, he wrote his girlfriend, uh, who would later become his wife, and he wrote her 300 times. He wrote about how he desperately longed to be with her, how he so desperately wanted to be there to hold her hand, to look into her eyes. And then she asked the question, can can you imagine this young couple that when the war was over and he comes back home, she says, you know what? I've kind of gotten used to this relationship that we're in. It's really super convenient for me. Can we just keep riding each other? I don't really think that we need to see one another. We know that would be foolish and that would never happen. Because there's something about being together and gathered that cannot be replaced. She goes on to write, she was writing this in the midst of COVID last year, but she goes on to write um, a little bit more, and and so this still applies. Let me read this for you. She says, some have raised concerns that canceling embodied gatherings of the local church in the present crisis will lead to more and more people streaming services long term. I want to suggest the opposite, that we Christians will know more fine that we prefer streaming services online than lovers parted by war and forced only to write letters Uh, would say when peacetime comes let's just keep writing each other shall we and i think she's right i think she's right there's no such thing ultimately as an online gathering or an online campus of providence church that is a temporary thing to use only when necessary i love that we have this we're streaming right now i love that we're able to do that but we desperately need one another And we need to make sure that we are there for one another. If you consider this Acts passage, there are different ways that a church can be a church. There are different ways that this happens. One is by what we do here on Sunday mornings, but uh, like as we gather in our large gathering. But as early as Acts chapter 20, we see that Christians had stopped the Sabbath day of worship and moved to the gathering on the Lord's day, the first day of the week. They did this, Because that is when Jesus was raised from the dead, on Sunday. And so as we like to say here at Providence, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. That's why we gather. It is a weekly memorial, it is a weekly reminder to celebrate Easter, to celebrate the risen Jesus. Paul goes on to give instructions about what can and can't happen in these gatherings throughout different books of the New Testament. He goes on to explain what they should look like. My guess is if Paul walked in here this morning and he saw what we were doing, whenever he saw what we were doing, he, 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 he would recognize certain parts of it. But most of, the, most of what we do, he would be like, I've never seen anything like this before. The churches that he met in were house churches and courtyards uh, and, and very, very small gatherings. But we're still able to do what it is that Paul lays out for us. and What he says that we should do. Our Sunday gatherings may look a little bit different, but we want to make sure that we're able to do what it is that we are called to do when we gather together. We'll discuss all of those things that we're called to do as the summer goes along. But there are other ways that we gather together, too. We gather on Sunday mornings. We also gather at the lake or in our backyards or around dining room tables in people's homes. These are our front porch communities. It gives us a chance to do some of these one another's that are almost impossible to do in a large group like this. When you get in a smaller group, you can care for one another in better ways. That's our front porch communities. To carry out what happens in Hebrews and Acts chapter two. Breaking of bread, meeting needs, encouraging and spurring on one another. We have discipleship groups that further uh, makes that pointed where we can do those things for and with one another. We'll talk about all these things as we continue on we'll talk about the lord's supper and discipleship and what it looks like to use our gifts to care for one another but this morning i just want us to see and answer this one question why do we gather together why do we get together on sunday mornings it's because we are a people that have been shown mercy it's because we are a people that desperately needed to be shown mercy And by the grace of God, we were given that mercy. And the proper response to that given mercy is that we not go our separate ways, but instead that we come together to celebrate that. The desire to celebrate with one another in pure joy over the mercy that we have found. And then to forever affix ourselves to the source of that mercy, Jesus Christ. This morning... Maybe you never thought about being a part of a church. Maybe being a part of a church sounds terrible to you because all the church people you knew were terrible people. Unfortunately, that happens. We would be foolish not to acknowledge that. But being a part of a church is not some club. It's not some hypocrite hangout. That's not what we are called to be. Being the church means we are a people. Deeply in need of mercy. celebrating because we have received that mercy not based on anything that we've done to deserve it not based on any righteousness within us that called it to us but simply because God offered it in our moment in the moment of our deepest need and then he formed us we sang this morning we said this is my story this is my song we are a story formed people We are formed by that story, by the resurrection of Christ. Friends, I'd like nothing more than for you to be a part of Providence Church. Not because we want more people, but because I want you to know that grace. And if you're not a part of Providence, I want you to be a part of a church that loves Jesus and that loves grace. Because that's what we are called to. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we celebrate the cross. We celebrate the cross because of what it has done for us. How it has purchased for us our salvation, our forgiveness, the mercy that Peter talks about. And that not only has it done that, it has also formed us. So Father, I pray that we would be a people that are formed by the mercy of God. that our agenda would be explicitly that, to share that mercy with one another, to encourage one another with that grace and that mercy, and to reach out to a world that thinks what we do is so strange, and that we would be able to say to them, yes, this is strange, but let me tell you why we do it. It is strange for you because you don't have anything that compares to this mercy that we've seen. You don't have anything that forms a people like Jesus Christ. Father, may we be a people built on the cornerstone, rooted in Jesus. celebrating verse. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.